0: these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome to TFM's local books and comic show just so excited to be here it's a big week this week and of course i couldn't do this alone and so i have with me
1: the beautiful brilliant bruce gibson hello i am beautiful and brilliant and good to be here Yes, yes, it is good to
0: be here. I mean, especially since we have so much to talk about this week and some, some really cool things to talk about. Um, and you're going to be helping me, uh, me look at a couple of comics we've got that have come out. We've got uh, Mirror War Zero, as well as the very last issue of Year 5. And uh, before we get there, of course, just want to say thank you so much to everyone who is listening If you like literary tracks, please give us a star rating review over there on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find the show. Uh, We'll read your review out in the show if you give us one. Of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast so you get the show as soon as it drops. You can also find us on Twitter at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trekfm. We've got the listeners only discussion group you can join over on Facebook called the Babel Conference, which you can join listeners from all over the world and discuss all the shows we're doing there. Uh, you can also find us online at Trek.fm and see all the things that are going on. We've got so many new things that are going on right now. So you definitely encourage you to check that out. And if you want to send us an email, go over to Trek.fm slash contact. Choose a show, choose literary tracks, and that comes to us here. Uh, and also, want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon. We've got some great gentlemen, Greg Rosier and Casey Pettit. We want to thank you so much for supporting us here on the network. And if you like the network and want to make sure that great content keeps coming do you, go over to patreon.com slash trackfm and see how you can be part of the team. So, uh, Bruce... I'm really interested in this uh, year, not year zero, this mere war zero issue. And this follows up some of the other mere content that they've done. Uh, I think the last thing they did was Terra Incognita. Um, yes. And so this actually follows that up. And um, we're basically kind of introducing, I guess, much of what's going to kind of happen in this series. But uh, as basically an introductory issue, I, what did you think of it?
1: I thought it was a good introduction because it picks up where we left off with the previous series and with, you know, spoiler alert, with Reg Barkley and... uh So I thought it did a good transition into establishing where this TNG mirror crew is and what they're having to face with. And it's setting up things I could tell that if you haven't read the past series, it's letting you know that they basically stole the Enterprise and then they're allowed to keep the Enterprise and that they had tried to steal the prime universe enterprise and Reg Barclay stayed behind. So it was good at establishing and setting all that up.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, to me, the, the biggest takeaway I took from this is that this looks nothing like Picard.
1: (laughs) Well, I was going to mention that later. (laughs) Well, looks aren't everything, you know, Uh, (laughs) but you're right. Uh, You know, a friend of the show, before I even read this, tweeted or messaged me and said, Picard doesn't look like Picard in this. I think everybody else, for the most part, does. But yeah, Picard yeah, I looks think so. very odd.
0: He does. He really, I. It, he feels like a really bad version of like the Mandarin or something from the old Marvel comics. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. He just doesn't look right at all. Um, I think, like you said, you know, this issue does do just a good job of kind of setting things up. And, you know, I, I think one of the the most fun things about the Mirror Universe is the opportunity uh, to just play around with everyone in really different ways. Uh, having Deanna Troy be the Inquisitor on the ship, which is really cool. I love that, uh, you know, Riker has um, a and a really nice goatee, you know, uh, beard with, uh, the, he, like he's grown it out These he's braided two sides of his, his, you know, goatee area. It's, it's, it's very, very nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm really interested now just to see where it goes. You know, there, there isn't a ton with, this this issue like i and i feel like in all honesty it goes really fast and i also would have liked a little bit more setup for it because i do feel as though it doesn't quite do a good enough job of helping people who may not have read all the previous mere comics really kind of know what's going on as well as it could have um, and so and and the reason i say that is obviously like the books right you know they always try to make sure that you have a good reference point so if they reference a point of of you know, something that's happened uh, in a previous novel, they give you kind of a, a short summary, basically. I know some fans hate that, but you always have to be cognizant of the people who may never have read these and and just pick up an issue, you know. And, and so, to me, I did feel like, because it's been so long since I've read any of those mere comics, I would have liked a little bit more,
1: I guess, backstory. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, there's a, there's still a lot of backstory that this doesn't address. I just assume that what they do give us in this is the sure. backstory that we need to know for this series sure. going forward. That, you know, the rest of the stuff that maybe we got in the previous comics either doesn't have any impact on what we're going to read in this series or they'll give us some backstory on that when we get to the mm-hmm. other issues. But yeah. to your point, I mean, it is a zero issue, right? <laughs> so yep. I guess it's just... Kind of a light story, just kind of putting the chess pieces in its place and just getting it started. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I kind of liked it. I enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, Picard doesn't look like Patrick Stewart. I just assumed that the artist just was, like, probably frustrated and said, I just cannot do Patrick Stewart. (laughs) But that's fine. I I know who he is.
0: Overall, I I mean, I I would say... I'm mildly interested to see where this goes. Like I I, the one thing that I came away with was that I didn't feel like it really grabbed me. Right.
1: No, I agree with that. I mean, first of all, when they showed the Vulcan, I thought or yeah, the Vulcan I thought was a Romulan. (laughs) So that confused me. Yeah, me me too. too. Yeah. The only thing that would grabbed me was this assassinator that went after Picard on the ship. Like who's that dude? Uh, That was the only thing that really grabbed me.
0: Yeah, great point. Great point. So, well, we turn next to the final issue there of year five. And this is definitely very much a wrap-up issue. uh, where And and it's kind of an epilogue, um, mainly, to the entire series uh, that's happened here. And I really am interested to know what you think of this. Because... There's some parts that I felt like I really enjoyed and then other parts that just felt like why wasn't there more of the rest of the like why hadn't the story been continued into this so that this really felt like an awesome finale because I, to me it just felt like They're trying too hard to tie into the motion picture um, in a way that's not necessarily needed here because that's done so many other places. And really, I would just rather have a good wrap up to the year five series as
1: a whole. Well, you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of what we just discussed about the zero issue, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this issue is the end of a series and in the same manner, it just kind of feels as if it's just setting the pieces in place as to show us where people are at the end of the year five series. Right. So, you know, we get a little bit of bright eyes and see that he's working, you know, with the Tholians to mend things with the Federation Mm -hmm. and rebuild the world. And he's working with, Admiral Kirk and and what else do we expect to hear from Admiral Kirk? That this is probably just going to be a temporary thing, you know, that he's doing. And Spock, of course, he wants to leave and do Cullin-R. What I found interesting and a bit confusing at first was Chekov, Uhura, and Sulu, because we that see made them tied absolutely up. Absolutely no sense. <laughs> I don't. I don't really get it.
0: It's like well, and it wasn't even Uhura. It was. It oh was no, the, that's right. Were, was it? Yeah, they're Susan implying Lee. that it's yeah, the woman that, that he'll have his daughter with.
1: Right. Yeah, Sulu's daughter with, yeah. That has Demora. Yeah, so it's the three of them. Yeah, it's not Uhura. But that was a little weird to me because I was like, wait, they're they've taken they're they're prisoners from Russians and they don't feel like Chekhov has done enough to represent the Russians and the Russians are treated differently on Have they Earth. ever
0: watched the original series? <laughs>
1: But then it's like, oh, I guess it was just a test or like they were just messing around or something. I I don't know. I I was a bit confused. (laughs) I have no idea.
2: Because they're all like sitting around having drinks
1: afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. That was weird. And then we have McCoy, you know, being called a duty and he's basically like, nope, I know a good nurse that would like to be a doctor. It's like, okay. So that was real brief. My favorite part was seeing Uhura and Scotty kind of being flirtatious mm-hmm. <laughs> flirtatious with each other because it was like you know tying to Star Trek 5 the final frontier yep. and yeah. actually the art is pretty good too I, 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 yeah. I kind of enjoyed that piece I 100% agree with you it's strange that probably for
0: most fans that be the way that I feel but you know I think it was fantastic kind of showing how you know she said look the with all of we've been through, I've basically learned to not take anything for granted. And I've always enjoyed working with you. And basically, she's like, yeah, and I'd, I'd really like us to be more, you know, so uh, I'm on uh, leave for the next three days. And so call me,
1: maybe, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then Scotty's looking at the Enterprise and he's just like, oh, Yo, God, you might have some competition.
0: yeah i mean it was it was really cute and i i do absolutely think that that was the best part of this this issue you know i mean it was kind of interesting i guess to see kirk and bright eyes working towards the treaty with the tholians and the federation and kind of in many ways kind of answering why we never see the tholians again uh as as a problem Right. We we never will will run into them. So I do I that part was not bad, but I just felt like all of um, except for the Uhura and Scotty piece, the rest of this you could have done you didn't need any of that, honestly, really. Um I would have liked a much more I, I would have liked even just more on the story with with Kirk and bright eyes you know like something but but this just felt a little bit like a letdown
1: yeah but to your point when you started off you did say an epilogue and it really does feel like an epilogue you know it's just you know oh and here's here's the happy ending after it ended and this is where everybody is it's the love letter it's like you know star trek enterprise and i had a love letter at the end (laughs)
0: <laughs> well yeah i guess all in all not not a terrible uh end to the uh the series and that series is now wrapped up and so it'll be very interesting to see what they do next in comics but um Bruce, i mean we've got a massive interview coming up with dayton in his new book moments asunder so why don't we hop to another coda perfect Well, Dayton Ward is here to talk about his latest book, Star Trek Coda Moments Asunder. And Dayton, I'm just really excited that you are here to be able to finally talk about this series. Well, thanks for having me back. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has. It has. And um, I can't think really of, you know, a bigger book to be talking about Um, and, you know, I I would just say, you know, the end is near, or is it? <laughs> um, and for those who maybe, you know, don't read the uh, acknowledgments and, you know, uh, you, especially you you wrote a pretty cool um, end to the book where you kind of explained a little bit of where this came from. Um, but I'd love for you to be able to kind of just lay out, you know, the genesis of this story. And how how did you guys figure out who was going to write what part?
2: Well, okay, so yeah, the, this book contains an afterword, which is the first time I've ever done that because I felt it was warranted, or we all felt it was warranted to have something like that in each of our books. So um, the genesis of the story, you know, first of all, we can't, we have to go back to the, be- we have to go back to the beginning. Um, when, it's a very
0: good place to start,
2: very often, usually the best place to start. Um, you know, after the 24th century TV shows DS nine Voyager next gen had wrapped and the films from next gen had wrapped Um, shortly after the series finale for DS nine pocket books began publishing deep space nine novels that took the characters and situations beyond what you saw on TV Um, relatively unprecedented in this regard. I mean, there had been next gen novels all through the, point, you know, all through the time that the show was being produced and same with DS9, but now that the show was no longer being produced and wasn't getting a follow-on feature film the way Next Gen had, the the, the reins were loosened, so to speak, as far as people like me, tie-in writers who were um, writing these, these novels for Simon & Schuster. And over time, as the shows, you know, got further in the rearview mirror and there didn't appear like there were going to be any more 24th century Star Trek licensing and the folks at cbs or then it was you know it was it was cbs consumer products at the time they just kind of let the novels that simon and schuster keep going so the characters evolved and they moved to different situations or they had unfortunate fates and then they got better and all these big events and all these big uh shake that could never have happened while the series was being produced right and so it just sort of grew and evolved and sort of t- took on a life of its own. So next thing you know, you know, Voyager has follow on novels after its season finale. And then you have, you know, stuff like Star Trek New Frontier and the Starfleet Corps of Engineers, which are all spin-off series from those. And uh, even after the films for Next Gen, those characters are being pushed in different directions. And we were kind of allowed free reign within, within reason. I mean, there were a few things they preferred we not do, but for the most part. They were very accommodating, they being uh, CBS Consumer Products and our editors at Simon & Schuster, who were actually acting so, sort of like showrunners in a writer's room on a TV show at this right. point. You know, they're overseeing all the different books and all the different writers and all the different projects um, because, you know, we're never going to see Captain Picard on TV again. Never, never going to revisit the Next Generation cast. Uh, but, you know, as I have learned over the course of many years doing this, you never say never. Yeah. and (laughs) So true. (laughs) So lo and behold, you know, uh, we flash forward to uh, early 2018 when I get a call from Kirsten Beyer, who is of course at this point in time working on Star Trek discovery. And she tells me that they are in talks with Patrick Stewart to return to TV as Captain Picard, you know, in in some sort of storyline that would take place 20 odd years after we last saw him, which was in Star Trek Nemesis. Um, so immediately my head went, well, that could be a problem for the books, you know. Uh, but I didn't know anything. We didn't know anything about the show or what direction it might take. Uh, and things progressed very slowly over that point. And by the time it had been formally announced and there was a writer's room and they were in pre-production for the first season, that's when I got to start seeing information from the writers' room. So I got to see a document that Kirsten had put together uh, sort of as a primer for new writers to the show that, that highlighted all the really cool high points from Star Trek history, but also included backstory elements that they were creating to inform Picard's first season. So I had all the information about the Mars attack and all the other things that led up to you know the, the, the current status quo when the show begins in 2399. So when the Mars attack is being talked about in 2385, I'm doing the math. And of course, you know, it only takes, you know, I'm like, well, we're in 2386 plus now in the books, which means this huge, you know, paradigm shifting event in Starfleet's history is behind us somewhere. So we are already at odds with what they are going to establish on screen. And that's when the serious talks began. Um, I started taking a lot of notes uh, at the same time, David Mack has was doing the same thing. <laughs> we were doing it yeah. independently. Uh and then we teamed up at we 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 finally got a hold of each other at the Shoreleaf convention in Baltimore uh in 2019, the summer of 2019 and we we talked at length about, you know, what this might mean for the books. And we sort of we had already been told by the folks at CBS licensing and by our editors that they really wanted to do something to align the books with what was to be on the new show they didn't we had no idea what that might be or what form it might take but what we did not want to do was just simply flip a switch and then all that stuff is you know left hanging and we move right. on to the new paradigm so that's the genesis
0: that's i mean and and i, I loved how you talked about in the afterword. you know obviously you didn't want to go the whole Star Wars route with what they did where it becomes legends and people just feel cheated and in many ways and and really frustrated because and and part of that you know I think the reality is and I, I love that they recognize this at CBS is people have invested so much time in this and they seem to actually care that the fans have invested so much time in this because you know for many people this is the Picard that we know. Um, and the rest of the characters from the 24th century, just as, you know, in Star Wars, that was the Luke Skywalker and the Han Solo and all those characters that we knew for tw- 20 some odd years. And it's it's very difficult when you've been a fan and you already love those characters, then you invest that time to just see all of that mean nothing. Um, and so I love that CBS is allowing you guys to play in this universe and be able to Find a way to bring it in line with what they're doing with Picard without it seeming meaningless.
2: Well, that's our goal. Um, and that was the thinking was we wanted to avoid the Star Wars legend situation. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I can't confess to being a huge novel or a Star Wars novel reader, but I've read enough of them over the years. Sure. And, um, you know, their, their fan base is very passionate and very, very, you know, uh, loyal to those expanded media platforms, uh, just like Star Trek fans are. And what we probably have, it's not a perfect parallel because, you know, Star Wars had the situation where there were levels of canon and right, they, they, they told people or that, you know, they put forth the notion that the novels and the comics and the games and all the other narrative media that was not on screen were some form of canon. And Star Trek has always been very upfront about what is and is not canon. So we didn't necessarily have the same, you know, chopper blade to walk into that the Star Wars novelists did. (laughs) Um, But that said, despite the fact that they are officially blessed, but not canon, there's a very hardcore loyal readership. Mm-hmm. You know, so we wanted to try to do something to do exactly what you said, which was to, to, to have them come away with the idea that that money and that time and that effort was not wasted, that these stories mm, exist, yeah. they, they continue to exist, they matter. Um, but at the same time, we knew that as soon as we started talking about something like this, it was going to attract attention from people who don't typically read Star Trek novels. And so, so now the challenge is also – Try to try to do something with this narrative and transition over to the to the lane that the that the shows occupy, but at the same time, be a way, be, a, you know, be an on ramp for people who might have never read a Star Trek novel before. And they're now they're coming to check what the fuss is all about. So it's it's an interesting line to walk.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I noticed that, you know, obviously within the story, creating the timeline at the beginning to kind of give people all of the major bullet points of, of really important storylines that most likely are going to have, you know, you guys are going to be pulling from specifically. Um, but to catch those those type of readers up and you always have to be paying attention to those. Um, and I think that's really smart because, you know, you you do want to even introduce people to want to go back to read those books, you know, just like you know, Star Wars still prints the Legends books. They want them reading those. You know, CBS wants people to go back and read those stories. And again, doing it this way legitimizes going back and reading those stories in many ways too. So I think all in all, it, may, it makes it for just a really, um, it it makes it the best of both worlds. You know, <laughs>
2: Ooh, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, that was our thinking. Was you know, we, we want if we did our jobs right, they're going to want to go back and read all those stories that inform yeah. Coda and, you know, and plus there's also the the very real um, uh, challenge of, okay, we are doing, you know, we are, we're transitioning this, this continuity um, and hopefully doing it in a way that doesn't irritate people to the point where, you know, cause we also have to invite them to stay on the ride because we have, you know, there will be books coming uh, mm-hmm. that tie into the new shows. And yeah. we don't yeah. know what direction, you know, next generation or, or, or any of the other, classic series will take in novel form. Uh, I suspect there will be, you know, certain, you know, you you can't, I can't imagine a world where they're not producing new original series novel. I don't even think that reality exists. Um, (laughs) uh, And if it's, if it does, then it needs to be uh, addressed because that's a crime. Um, But the same thing, you know, with the, with the popular classic series, there's going to, they're always going to be there and they're going to be there with, you know, with an opportunity to tell more stories in those, in, in those settings.
0: Sure. Well, and then, I mean, you know, within the Picard timeline era, you've got all of these characters that exist. And so trying to figure out then, you know, what characters is that show ever going to touch? Will they ever touch, you know, and, and, you know, because the 21st century is so vast with the amount of characters to which, you know, you can pull from. So, you know, I think that definitely makes uh, for, you know, a lot of ability for books to to be able to to dig into that and um. So, hundred percent, I'm right there with you. Um, I how did I mean? Obviously, you and James and David are writing these stories here, uh, and and you got book one. How did you all make that decision? I mean, was it like if you're going to bring a whole universe to an end, David has to do that because then he has the the largest kill count ever.
2: Um, we all agreed. The th- we all the three of us agree that Dave should be the third book. Uh, this is just this is his thing. <laughs> you know, these these kinds of <laughs> high stake plots with you know with just you know everybody getting blown up or destroyed, you know or at least maybe they are maybe they're not. But I mean this is this is a grand stage and we wanted there was no argument or fussing about the batting order. The um, okay. the only reason I think the primary reason I ended up drawing book one was because of Jim's schedule. I could have very easily been booked too. I I mean, it just came down to a scheduling thing. Um, But once we had the batting order, um, you know, we developed the story for all three books together. I mean, from, we, we, we figured it out from front to back. So we figured out which beats were going to be in which book and which characters were going to be focused on in which book and how we were going to feed, you know, one to two to three. Um, Everything was talked about, in terms of that, figuring out you know where on the board the pieces are going to start and move to and all that kind of thing. So it's very much a collaboration on all three books. So the batting order is important because, like I said, I, I think nobody can close out a story quite like Dave. And I don't think anybody can make that second half twist quite like Jim. <laughs> so it really does I, I think work. I think the batting order is fine. I mean, I I would be very intimidated if I had gotten the third straw for this one. Um, I've sure, done cleanup on sure. a couple of series before, and it's it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah,
0: because you did Peaceable Kingdoms. I mean, you brought the whole fall yeah.
2: series to a close. So
0: yeah, I mean that. Uh, and that's always a difficult thing. Is like, uh, how do you find? the right resolution yet enough open plot lines you know all that so absolutely Yeah, um, it's, uh,
2: it was it was it was an interesting it was it was a good it was a very intense collaboration but as i said some for somewhere else it was for all the right reasons i mean we were just we were just all very mm-hmm. heavily invested in yeah doing this right
0: quick question on that then with the collaboration you mentioned you and dave had gotten together at shore leave and talked through things in 2019 uh what did that look like? Did you guys get a chance? I mean, obviously COVID happened. Did you guys just spend a lot of time on zoom with each other or, I mean, how did that end up working for y'all to collaborate? And
2: Uh, we had a, we had a, I don't know if it was quite weekly, but it was fairly close to weekly Skype call, you know, between the three of us and backed up by emails as we all went to our corners and um, thought about this, that, and the other, you know, before we even started writing outlines, we were, we were, making notes we were doing some research we were trying to figure out which plot lines were still available you know who was that sort of thing um so yeah there were there were a number of skype calls over a i forget several months you know as our work as our various schedules uh allowed uh because we were all working on other things at the same time so it was it was uh you know just basically fitting it in and around everything else
0: i kind of want to just ask you know as an author, you've been a part of, you know, Star Trek literature for so long. Um, but this may be the biggest thing you've ever done. And I what is it like just as an author to be the one who starts off something this big?
2: It's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I I mean I say that with a laugh, but it really is. Um it's it's a little nerve-wracking. It's it's uh we knew we knew that the stakes were a little higher this time around, and um, a lot of mo- a lot more eyeballs than normal would be on us. Um, even if even if we're not talking about people who read the books, I mean, I've I've seen articles about the trilogy in places that I very rarely, if ever, see any coverage of Star Trek novels.
1: Yeah, so same here. Same so here. So there's a
2: there's a casual interest there, you know, that's building on the on the fringes that we just don't typically see so i'm like okay people are paying it so you know we we're kind of the pressure's on to kind of stick the landing um and maybe there are people who are watching it you know for the train wreck factor like well let's just watch this entire thing blow up and laugh i mean (laughs) it's very possible there's just people out there doing that and so i I don't know i just it's a little it's a little stressful i mean we because we take it I, I guess taking it personal sounds weird, but I mean, there's a lot of investment. Uh, you know, you, the oh, yeah. readers have invested Absolutely. all this time and money, but we've invested a lot of time and effort to build this universe. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's a very weird place to be in.
0: Well, I mean, in in so many ways, like you talked about at the very beginning, you know, when they weren't planning and it never seems like they were going to touch the 24th century again. I mean, in many ways, you be you all became the showrunners of these characters' lives, and then they've been in your hands for a very long time. And so I can understand completely why this would be personal to you because you're also fans yourselves, you know? And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask that question is just because, like, I, I having also spent time with all of you as well, I know how much this means to you just as a fan to be able to get to do this. And, I think that's something that is really special and has made this special. um, And I can feel it from you guys when we talk and and, um, I could feel it in the writing of the books. And so I I think, um, you know, I I don't I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want people who are listening to this interview and or read the books forget that this means something to you guys, too. This is not just a paycheck.
2: Yeah, and, and you raise a, a, another point that, that it's not just the readers that we're concerned about. It's not even the casual looky-loos that we're worried about. What We're also worried about, you know, the other writers who have contributed to all of this over so many years. Um, it's a, I view it as a big responsibility. And I, and I know Dave and Jim feel the same way. Um, it's, it, like I said, it's, it's, it's a little bit terrifying.
0: Yeah, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> well, and I think, You know, I guess I would be worried, too, if you didn't feel that way. You know, I I think that also just shows the legitimacy of of the way you guys um, feel about this and how seriously you take it. And and so uh, I think to me, that's comforting that you feel that pressure. So
2: um, these have never been I've never written a Star Trek novel just for the paycheck. I mean, that's that's a that's that's not a reason to write any book, let alone something like this, which is. Means a great deal to so many people. And it means a great deal mm-hmm. to me. I've been a fan since I was, you know, practically out of diapers. But, yeah. um but yeah, that's like I said, the, it was a little bit, there was a little bit more of that this time around. There was a little bit more, mm-hmm. was, felt like there was a heightened responsibility this time around.
0: Yeah. So, one of the things I'm really interested in, and I, I obviously know that there will be things that you can't go into with this question, but the Davidians and, and using the aliens from time's arrow. Um, and their plan is fascinating. And in, in many ways I've heard it references like, you know, crisis on infinite earths, you know, uh, or on infinite universes, really. Um, I, I, after kind of getting to what their plan is, I was like, man, this feels like the James Bond motto, except for it's the universes are not enough. Um, where they just, they want complete consumption, um, for their own benefit, except they don't really seem to have any lives. So I, w- I'm fascinated, like, when, as you guys are trying to figure out this story, where does it come from to like, this is the right alien species to use, especially in this first book?
2: Well, I mean, it was, we were looking for a threat, you know, we were looking for, for something that could pose a threat on, 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 a, on such a scale you know based on the man on what we had to do with uh with with the the books there's you know and we also the we liked the davidians because we felt that they possessed those qualities that could bring a threat of this scale uh but they also hadn't been used you know hardly at all i mean i think they may have popped up in the odd storyline somewhere in a comic or maybe perhaps another novel but I don't recall, we don't, I don't remember finding anything of any real significance. So really they haven't been seen since time's arrow. Uh, And what we saw was just a very small slice of what they did. You know, they were, it was very focused on, on 19th century earth. So we're like, well, what if this is expanded by orders of magnitude? So that was where the conversation took us. And we were just, we were motivated by the, by the idea of finding a threat on that could, you know, be on that scale. Uh, there aren't that many of them in Star Trek and we didn't want to invent something whole cloth that, that we would have to, you know, um, it would, it was more fun to reach back into the mythos and find something that hadn't been tapped in quite a while. And as far as I can tell, nobody guessed the Davidians coming, um, from what I can tell by reactions that I've seen to book one, uh, I haven't gone, you know, I haven't gone digging, but. Uh, I, at least what crosses my feet on social media. Uh, I don't think anybody saw the Davidians coming. So that part worked out for us as far as what's coming. What else is their plan? Man, wait for book two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so.
0: yeah. Well, and I, I've see. you know, obviously, too. I mean, I, I don't really feel like and especially from talking to Kirsten uh, after her her uh, end run there. That, you know the, the chronom aren't really out of the game yet as well I mean there's so many different layers that this can go and I think that's what makes it exciting it's like this feels like boss level one <laughs> now I'm just waiting for boss level two uh as, possibly
2: yeah. as I said to somebody because they were they, they they had hit me on Facebook or something and they said that uh, you know the book left me drained I was I'm, I'm worn out but I'm ready for book two and book three <laughs> yeah. and I'm like I, I want you to understand something that book one is arguably the uh the lowest intensity setting (laughs) this story you know um it's sort of like a roller coaster ride you know i'm i mean it's like i'm the uphill climb with one or two really crazy turns at the beginning of the ride but there's this all this track is still out there you know waiting for you all those loops you're saying
0: this was setting one in the agony booth
2: Pretty much. Yeah, okay. I think so. Uh, maybe, maybe on a scale of one to 10, maybe I, I managed to push it to three, <laughs> but mm. maybe four, mm. I don't know, but it's, it's kind of hard. I mean, uh, somebody tried to hang a, the Dr. Death moniker on me and I'm like, you know, that I, that, that's still Dave. Dave is, Dave is still the king oh, of that oh, kind of thing. seriously. Yeah. And, um, but for me, I, I guess for me, it's definitely outside what I normally tend to do in star trek now i don't tend to like wreak that much havoc i don't kill that many people <laughs> it's just not in, not just generally not in the stories that i tell but um uh, we all had to kind of up our game a little bit this time around
0: yeah I, and one of the things that i i just i i did like about the davidians is is a race to use here too and especially their plan is that you know there is something scary. Um, about this idea of you know complete consumption of everything, with there being no real joy. I mean, like the Borg, at least they're trying to add your you know the biological and technological distinctiveness to their own for perfection. They're looking for perfection, right? Like there's this unsatiable desire for the Davidians that can never be satiated. Right. It's never enough. And I think there's something terrifying about that. And reflectively, I was just thinking about, um, you know, thematically that that is the exact opposite of everything that, you know, Starfleet and the Federation have also stood for, which is to be able to give people the ability to pursue the highest order of being, you know, and. That I mean, I, I really liked that thematic element in the book Um, and just I mean, that's everything Picard is in, in, in stood against. Right. You know, in the Federation and at their best, Starfleet at their best. And I, I liked that dichotomy.
2: Yeah, we were. And th- another one of our talks was, you know, we were trying to avoid the big bad being, you know, a villain, a true villain, a villain in the true sense of, you know, they're malevolent. They are. They twirl mustaches. They're evil. They want to, you know, they're they're dominating the world for their ego or whatever. It's it's different when it's just basically a a a personification of a natural drive. You know, all that's all they're doing. It's not. It's not uh, motivated by any particular thoughts one way or the other about who might be impacted. It's just they're, you know, they're there to. They're in the way, basically. They're just. They're just moving. Um, Yeah, lean into that. Or hold on to that thought when you read book two uh, and book three. It's uh, it's an interesting interesting theme that we try to thread through there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think another thing that was really interesting, obviously, is that, you know, the loose ends that you have. And specifically, you were able to tie into, obviously, a big kind of like hanging Chad from <laughs> Headlong Flight um, where you begin to answer the question of, you know, what Tarek had seen and what was kept hidden. And did you know back then at all that, that that what you were trying to do and that it was going to have anything to do with this series? Or were you just kind of trying to set something up at that point with headlong flight?
2: I would like to be able to tell you that I had this whole thing planned out years ago and I knew we were going to be here with this book, but that would be a bold faced lie. Um, I had other ideas in mind for what Tarek saw. Uh, I had several different options that I could explore depending on how the books were going to go, you know, bearing in mind that I'm, I was not the only person contributing to these books. Um, so I had a couple of ideas. I don't really, I don't know that I really dug in on any of them too much, or I didn't get so invested in the idea that I hated to see it go. I just had some ideas. And of course, one of them was possibly, you know, how do we deal with the, the supernova from Star Trek 2009? And and its aftermath, that was obviously uh, something that we were thinking about, even though at the time that I did that with um, Armageddon's Arrow, uh, you know, we were not allowed to do anything that could be be deemed as, you know, crossing the streams between the prime timeline Mm -hmm. and the JJ movies. Uh, We were not allowed to do anything like that. So it was always something we had to push down the road a little bit in the hopes that at some point they would change their minds. And that was, then Picard came along, you know, the show came along and they, they kind of retconned a little bit the nature of the supernova and what it did um, and how it impacted, you know, Starfleet and the Federation uh, leading up to the event. So Mm -hmm. that, that, that kind of took that chip off, off the table. Um, However, once we started putting things together and we realized what was on the board, you know, we, we did joke that, you know, if we do this, right? People are going to think we had this planned out years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. and of course that's absolutely not true. (laughs) We just adapted to what, you know, what, what was thrown our way.
0: Yeah. And I, I, think, you know, that's one of the things that in many ways, you guys always did leave yourselves those breadcrumbs, um, to, to be able to pick up on. And it was, you know, they were always innocuous enough in the sense that you could take them different directions and still have it really work. And, uh, you know, that just, I think, is really smart um, as, as as authors trying to give yourselves places to go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I love that, you know, with Armageddon Arrow and Headlong Flight, you were using those pieces, you know, um, and, and especially, you know, obviously with too, with Headlong Flight, using that alternate universe with, you know, um, allowing that to be a place where, you know, Wesley really gets a chance to kind of start to figure something out. um, And so, which brings me to I think something that's really interesting is that redeeming Wesley in some ways. I mean, you know, a character who's been the butt of more jokes than any other Star Trek character, I think, and yet here he's he's very key to the story, like he may be the key to the story. We don't know just yet. But can you just talk a little bit about his addition here and kind of using him in that way?
2: Well, I mean, I don't know that we were looking for redemption for the character so much. I mean, I don't um, it's just that he seemed like a natural a character to include in this based on his, you know, traveler background. I mean, and he's, he's shown up periodically in some of the novels. He showed up in the time two books and he Mm -hmm. was in the cold equations trilogy. And I think he may have been, he may have popped up here and there in a couple of other places, but I'm blanking. Um, So the idea that he was, he would be a part of this was something that we hit on pretty early on in our planning Um, the nature of his role and how it could, How he could, you know, conceivably be morphed into him having fought this battle for, you know, hundreds of years subjectively from his point of view because of the way he can move through time and space uh, was an interesting notion to play with. Uh, And just like, so if you've read the book, you know that there are are a couple of different versions of Wesley, you know, in my book. Yep. And so you will see more of that kind of thing in in, in the in the other books. Uh, Jim leans really hard into it. Actually, that's that's as close to a spoiler as I'm going to get. <laughs> Is if you liked Wesley in book one, or even if you didn't like Wesley in book one, be prepared to see more Wesley in book two. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was just, it was just, it just, it was felt fun, and um, you know, if if even if people don't particularly care for the character of you know, Wesley Crusher, I think fan consensus is that Will Wheaton is a pretty cool cat. Mm-hmm. And so if this had been shown on film, if this had been shot on film, you know, the idea of bringing him in to play this role on film was kind of fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I I mean, obviously, I love the the whole older Wesley character, you know, and and there's some Doctor Who elements in there. It also kind of reminded me of you know the Galadriel quote in the Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings about the the long defeat. You know, like uh, this battle that just has been raging uh, for a long, long time, and and you know you may eventually lose, but it it's the battle is still important and like all of those type of things. So like I really enjoyed the two different versions of the character, and especially the way you know our quote unquote younger Wesley is let on a journey by the older Wesley to try and fix the mistakes he couldn't fix, you know, and, and do this right, hopefully. And all of that was fascinating. And again, you know, you're playing with time. And so you have nothing but time to bring in characters from all these different universes in the same way that, again, like a crisis on infinite Earths, where you can play with characters from a, a myriad of universes, maybe a mirror universe may even show up, who knows. But, you know, I you, you have at all at your fingertips to play with and and why not really at this point?
2: Um, it's funny you bring up Dr. Who, because um, at least for me personally, I don't know. I don't know that Dave or Jim, well, maybe I don't, it's possible, but in my head, I was playing with the old man, Wesley. In fact, I think I even called him old man, Wesley in my outline. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my thinking of it was, it's very similar to the war doctor from Dr. Who yes. war, and not just in isolation, but also, you know, there are elements of, um, what the doctor may have done during the time war with, you know, with the, with the Mm -hmm. Daleks. And you see a hint of that in Christopher Eccleston's one go at at doctor in the day, like in the Dalek episode. And then you, you see the other stuff with the day of the doctor and those are all, you know, episodes of the, of the different series there that I really enjoyed. Um, they, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we, we, we took a, we took a page from them, but they were definite inspirations. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, perhaps even less so than the whole, I mean, I see Crisis on Infinite Treks bandied about, but I, I, I want to say it's probably a little bit more the other way. Doctor Who and um, and the other examples. And it, it may have been maybe a little bit of Avengers. I mean, people were saying this is, you know, Star Trek's Avengers Endgame. And I'm like, well, there's p- perhaps, you know, with the, with the size of the, you know, the scale of the threat perhaps. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, there were a number of things running around in our heads while we were trying to put this thing together.
0: Well, and I think, you know, it's hard for all of that not to be an inspiration, right? I mean, we're talking about time travel and, and and there are so many different ways that it's been done. And so I don't think there's anything wrong anyway with taking bits and pieces from all the little things that we love about the best time travel stories and, and utilizing them, especially if they help you tell a great story here with, you know, the end of the lit verse as we know it, Um. And I, I don't know if I feel fine, but you know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, one of the things I was, you know, also struck by and I thought was really beautiful was the way in which Picard is helped shown his impact on the Federation and Starfleet and the ways in which his leadership has gone to continue his line basically much mm-hmm. like a father would with his children and Picard never wanted to be a father, but of course he is a father in this book and has become one. And he's able to, because of, of some pushing to help see, you know, he really has had an enormous impact with the way the Federation and Starfleet have gone um, throughout his life because, just because of who he is and the way in which those that he's trained have then gone on to do great things, you know, and carry on basically the Picard family name without actually having the Picard family name and Picard's lineage like that. I I really loved that being portrayed here because obviously that's kind of an important part of the series Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I just thought it was really beautiful here because he truly has had such a m- massive impact.
2: Uh, thank you. Uh, I, you know, that's probably a little bit of my military mindset bleeding in around the edges of, of the story because I've always believed that the true impact of any effective leader is the quality and performance of the people they lead. So, if you've done your job right as a leader. Uh, to develop those subordinates, um, you know, you're no longer the most vital cog in that machine. Mm. They they can carry on without you. They can, they can accomplish the mission. If you're not there, uh, they can step up and fill the hole that you might, act, you know, leave behind for any number of reasons. Um, so that's my thinking on Picard as a mentor and a leader and a developer of, you know, the, the I apologize for the pun, the next generation of, of Starfleet officers. Um, so i'm glad that that came through uh, I, I always felt that was a, a part of his character that kind of got short-sheeted on tv uh you saw glimpses of it every once in a while but um i think we tried we've not not just me alone but i mean several authors have tried to 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 develop that aspect of his character that he's more than just a captain he's a mentor he's a he, he's he's someone who uh you know pushes Pushes those, elevates those around him, or you know, as a sub, the subordinates around him, to to do better, to do to do to do their best.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, and and I think that's the thing we all love about our favorite captains in Star Trek, and the way that they. I, I think I love the way you said they elevate those around them. You know, you, you think of the way Archer does that. You know, you think of the way Kirk does that, and Picard and Cisco and Janeway, and they all have their own ways of doing that. And yet, each of them, in their own way, um, makes the people around them better. And, uh, you know, Picard has been at this so long. I just love the moment to be able to reflect before everything, you know, hits the fan oh. that yeah. you, you've you had this massive impact on. And it's not just, obviously, characters like Worf, but, you know, Teresa Chin and, and those type of characters to which, the books had introduced and given us a chance to see grow because of his influence. And, you know, I think that's an important thing for us to remember as well. And one of the things I came away thinking of, you know, as I get older, like, what is the impact I'm having on those around me? And is it a positive impact or is it a negative impact? And I, I thought, you know, that's a beautiful theme here because as we think about the idea of like, um, you know, time's predator coming for everyone here in, in this story, um, you know, or Soren saying time is the fire which we burn, you know, Picard's thought of, you know, it's, it's what we leave behind that matters, you know, it's how we've lived, um, that makes all the difference. And, and that really, I think to me came through in this book and I think it was a nice, um, Moment to sit back and reflect for myself as well.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned it that way, because um, the first time that I got uh, way back when, when uh, Margaret Clark asked me to write one of the Typhon Pack books, and it was going to be the first book after uh, his and Beverly's son is born. So I I wasn't involved in any of the post-novel continuity for DS9 or Next Gen until… Uh, the Typhon pack books. So, and by then they had made the decision that, you know, Beverly's going to get pregnant and he and she and Picard are going to have a kid together and they're still going to be on the enterprise and all that kind of stuff. So, um, one of the things that I had to do was basically write Picard as a new father. Um, yeah. And path,
0: it, paths of this harmony, right? This we just harmony. Covered so that's, that that's, Which is a great book, by the way.
2: Thank you very much. And, but I, at the time I was a relatively new father. Uh, My kids, my oldest kid had not even turned four, I think. So, you know, I had two toddlers and I'm trying to figure out (laughs) in my own life, (laughs) how do I balance all of this? And how do I, you know, how do I set a good example? How am I going to set a good example for for my children? And how are they going to, how am I going to do right by them? You know, so that they can, you know, shine after I'm gone um so yeah that's it's an interesting parallel because that's kind of been how i've been writing picard all along is uh how he finds that balance between being an officer and a leader and a father and a husband at the same time it's a tricky balance to walk
0: Mm. and i i mean to me too i just from i've always loved the fact that you finally allowed him to get married and and have the family with beverly and find that happiness but in many ways i've always found that him being a father has actually made him a better captain it's made him a better man in 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 so many ways and and i think that's probably a reflection of so many of you like yourself you know seeing that probably happen in your own lives and then being able to put that into a character like picard um that there was so much that he had been disconnected from Mm-hmm. by keeping himself separate. And I love to even have that conversation in the book. He wishes that he hadn't spent so much time separately, but at the same time, that taught him something as well. So like he he takes what he can get from every single part of his life and he's using it to make himself not only a better person, but he's also using it to make those around him better. And and that, you know, it's it's not so much regret, as much as it is like, okay, what can I learn from that part of my life and how can I use it then to to make different choices now?
2: That's pretty much – that's been pretty much my thinking for him for all the books that I have been – I have to do a quick tally. Six or seven of them I've written in the post-novel or the post-film continuity. So it's, and you know, it's, unfortunately there was a series there where they all just seemed to, to, we didn't get to advance the calendar much. So it was seemed like there was a lot going on within one calendar year. Um, But yeah, every time I came at it, I tried to come out with a little bit different perspective. It's like, okay, how, and you hit on it. How do you, how do you balance all that? How does being, you know, a good and effective officer make you a better parent or a husband? And vice versa. How do those two things make you better? I mean, and there's a great line in a movie um, called We Were Soldiers. It's that Mel Gibson movie that's set Mm -hmm. in Vietnam. And he is talking to one of his young lieutenants and the the lieutenant asks him, hey, what do you think about being a soldier and a father? And uh, Gibson's character, Hal Moore, replies, I hope that being good at the one makes me better at the other. So that's one of those lines that kind of sticks in your head and in situations like writing Picard uh where he has to balance all these things I try to lean into that mm.
0: yeah that's uh, I I did love that and it also kind of reminds me of the idea of like you know who's happy at the beginning of this bu- this book you know like there's kind of that gut punch because so many of these characters their lives are finally getting back to normal you know right before we you know throw them into the the worst situation they've ever seen and with that part of the book, was that a little bit of almost your wishful thinking of like if, if the lit verse could continue, this is where I'd like to see all of these characters be able to go before I rip it all away from them?
2: Pretty much. It was sort of a, a pie-eyed dream about where we could have taken the characters. I mean, I, I can't speak that I had any definite plans for any of them before we had to sit down and figure out this book. Um or this series. I just, I just, but you, yeah, you're, you're pretty close to the mark. Um, you know, it'd be nice to see how they could grow, how we could move them along. Um, uh, and give that moment of reflection about what could have been, what might've been, you know, before we tear it all apart. Um, it's, it also adds a little bit of a human element i mean uh not to not to disparage any of the non-human characters but it adds a little bit of humanity to the to the situation uh before we get on the roller coaster ride of the of the of the main narrative uh to kind of take a pause and see where we are with these characters because so much has happened in the books in such a very brief span of time if you actually lay it down and look at it it just seems like we don't have a chance to breathe and 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 um just be with these characters for a little bit before we put them through their paces yet again. Um, and for me, it's, it could very well be the last time I get to write these versions of the characters, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. um So, yeah. Cause we don't know what comes next and you don't know what comes next in book two and three. So who knows? Uh, yeah, so, it's true. It's, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it's just a different, uh, you know, just kind of moving the pieces into position before we, before we start, you know, swiping at the game board, I guess. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just tossing it. <laughs> just, uh, okay, I'm, they're all I I'm want. i smack
2: the board. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and that is that is one of those questions, too, like with who lives and who dies. And, you know, obviously you mentioned there are a lot of people that end up dying in here uh, in the book. Or do they die? I mean, that's really, I think, a question. Uh, but, I mean... I tweeted at you. I was like, damn you, Dayton Ward, damn you. Because, you know, for me, Ezri Dax is one of my all-time favorite characters in Star Trek. And I, I just that hit me so hard when she died. Because I was like, You're taking Dax away? Please, please let her return somehow and like book two and three, at least so I can spend some more time with her. Because <laughs> I love that
2: character. I, I guess we're, we're at the point where we're into spoiler territory for book one.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, <laughs> we
2: mean, didn't even stop we haven't been spoiler there. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, um you know, it was uh it, it was an interest for me it was very interesting because I have never done that with any of the canon characters. Um I had no particular desire to do that before. Uh and uh, you know, you still have to read books two and three, so I'm not I'm not defining anything. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. Could get worse, could get better. We don't know. Um, but given the given the type of threat they were facing, um, uh, you know, we all agree that we really need to to land some solid punches early on to to demonstrate that we're not screwing around here. This is serious. Um But as far as how things progress in books two and three, you're just going to have to
0: read and see what happens. Well, I mean, Um, because you did the same thing with Teresa, too. I mean, who's been a fan favorite since she was introduced?
2: Actually, she's probably I I mean, there's no probably. She's my favorite of the, you know, the the, the relaunch characters that were created for the Mm. books. For the Enterprise crew, she's, she's, I loved playing her off the card. I have always loved playing her off the card in particular, uh, the dynamic that they have. Um, it's been one of my favorite things about writing these books. She's, I don't know that he sees her as a, as a, as the way he used to be. Uh, I just think he sees the potential that's, you know, once you get yeah, past the yeah. facade, it's, there's a lot of potential there. And again, there's also that mentoring relationship and that not quite, a, not quite a father daughter relationship, but there's definitely a mentor relationship there. Um, I always, I used to tell people in other interviews that I equated their relationship earlier on with um, the way that Jethro Gibbs and Abby Shuto from NCIS used to play off each other. Mm-hmm. He was very tolerant of her rather unorthodox methodology and way of mm-hmm. doing things. And, and, in a way that he was not with the other characters, you know, he, right. he was very indulgent with her because she was definitely, you know, atypical. Uh, and yet he had a soft spot for her uh, in a way that he, that he, he was, like I said, he was very tolerant and indulgent of her antics the mm-hmm. way that he would not be if it was one of the other characters. And I, I also attributed that to like we talked about earlier, Picard is getting older. He's mellowing. Being a father has changed his outlook on how he approaches his relationships with his officers and, and the rest of the crew. So I, I I don't know. That was just always my take on their relationship.
0: Well, and I, I, for you, like a guardian on the edge of forever, you know, getting destroyed and like Tarek dying and like future Wesley and all, of, you know, whole learning that whole timelines are gone. You know, like the Headlong Flight Enterprise D crew or the Relativity crew and like um, putting all that together. uh, What was the hardest one for you to kill? Was it, Teresa, Uh, at least as far as we know in this book? Was that the hardest one for you to write or, or was there another one that really got to you?
2: Well, I mean, it was obviously uh, Ezri Dax was a tough one because that was a canon character. And, you know, we don't know what the fates are of anybody in any of these books. I mean, you don't know what the fates are based on the, the books that are still coming. Um, I think everybody just assumed that we would we would dispense with a lot of the, 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 the newly created non-canon characters. Um, so so the decision to go with Ezri in my book was was a tough one. Because you know it's again very very popular character with the fans, um, but for me personally, yeah, the Chen death was uh, was was a tough one to go.
0: I thought it was interesting because Rangea, you know, and this and this is maybe one of those things where it's like you, there's something wrong with the timeline. But didn't he already die? Did he now? I, yeah, that's the question. I the, the <laughs> love that though because that was one of those things where we, where we learn that this this universe has been corrupted you know and that that's the whole crux of the issue like so some characters we see or don't see or like will they come back like I just love that there's all this ambiguity right now and it just gives us so much to play with and and until we get to those those next books um, and you know see how it all is finally finished I, I love that it's it's not so cut and dry at the moment
2: that's the idea Uh, I like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I I, I joke about it. I'm the lowest level intensity setting, I think, but I think you'll agree with me in a month or so when you've had a chance to read book two that uh, the ride isn't full, it's moving at full speed, you know, by the time (laughs) you get done with Jim's book. Uh, there is just so much going on, and there are facets to the story that have not even been hinted at that you will see in books two and three. There are just entire facets and 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 other angles coming at you in the other books that are just it's mind-boggling how many moving parts there are in a story and um you know it's amazing that we were able to do what we could do in these three books Uh, it's funny the original plan that we had hoped for the big you know the big dream project was that there would have been more books to this uh we had planned for at least four what I called core books. So we were hoping another writer would join us. Uh, And and I think we we had our hearts set on Una McCormick being part of the, part of the fun, Uh, but her schedule uh, did not allow for that. And then the other thing that I had put forth uh, as an idea was that we would do a couple of setup books where they would present themselves as, you know, standard next generation or DS9 adventures but by the time you started reading the actual core books, you realized we had already moved pieces in, you know, onto the board without you realizing it. It was sort of right, like a right, stealth right. prequel, you know. And, um, so I had, we had grand plans that, uh, that didn't work out, but that's the way that goes. Um, yeah, that's, so. I,
0: I guess that, that just fascinates me because I was just thinking about, you know, the way in which obviously, you know, the Vidians are, uh, all after you know these these characters to which you know can have an influence on time, mm-hmm. and so it makes so much sense that you know obviously Cisco and then most likely you know Kira and the prophets are going to have a big part in in some part of these books because they have such an influence on time. Obviously, because they engineer the 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 coming <laughs> of the emissary. Uh, right through time, you know, which is right. always a fun time conundrum in the in the first place. So, yeah, I just I mean yeah. it's it just makes it so much fun and and I think you know, I have seen some people get so kind of down on the fact that so many people are dying and all, but you know, to me it it is more about the way in which you guys are just getting to play with the universe in a way that you've never gotten to before and and in doing so, it's also bringing to an end and opening the door for something else. And I guess I'm just excited about the ride that (laughs) we're going to get to go on and to see where everything ends up. And, you know, I think CBS also offered you guys the opportunity to do this. And it does seem like it's not just about closing a bunch of doors. It's about opening some doors as well. And what I'm excited about is what doors are going to be open when we leave this, you know, Continuity.
2: I uh, it, to to boil down, you know what what you're what you're driving at is. I don't view this as a reset. I don't necessarily view it as an ending. I view it as a turning point and a transition. Um, it's the sort of thing that tie-in literature or tie-in media has always done when there is a property that's actively producing new content for the screen. Um, Star Trek is not even. This is not even the first time that Star Trek's done it. Right um what's different i think is very similar to what affected star wars is that there was such a large span of time where there was just nothing being put on screen and so the expanded media had you know greater reign to play you know this the, 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 the 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 sandbox was bigger um but now that they're back doing star wars movies and they're doing star trek you know projects uh the, the the stuff that I write, the stuff that we write, the the tie in media it has to it has to support that. And uh, that being said, CBS was very excited about what we had proposed and how we wanted to treat it. Um, they were always in our corner. In fact, that you know their 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 cat their mandate, along with our editors at Simon and Schuster, was basically go for it, swing for the fences. Um, let's see what you got. Um, so it's yeah. I, I think it's unprecedented in in the fact that Star Trek went for so long uh, with this uninterrupted, evolving and expanding continuity that was allowed to you know create or be created. Um, that's what's that's what's probably making people take take stock of wow they can't I can't believe they let them do that for all those years. Um, that's unusual. I think Star Wars is probably the only other property that's had that kind of freedom for that kind of time. But even then, I think Star Wars: Leash was a little tighter than Star Trek's in terms of what they could do in the books. Um, I think there was always it was always a question of when, not if, if there was going to be new Star mm-hmm. Star Wars movies. Yeah. Uh,
0: when I mean, just when I think about you know the impact on you know Deep Space Nine started it all, and Deep Space Nine was always my favorite, and then just where all the characters ended up. I mean, I, you know, that's absolutely I think correct, and just what you guys were able to do and. I think the question that I'm, I'm wondering, and this is obviously not a question I've really ever asked an author, but how are you feeling like (laughs) with all, like, just because this is such a momentous moment and, and how are you feeling now that your book is out? And, and at least for right now, you know, until we figure out where it's going, like, this is it with this part of the universe.
2: Tired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's been a long time coming. I mean, you know, we've been working on this thing for, for, I mean, if you really go all the way back to the very, very beginning, when we first started sketching notes out, I mean, it's well over two years um, that we started talking about the possibility of something like this. And then, you know, the pretty well two year window where we started talking for real. Um, So after all of that, you know, I'm kind of relieved that it's on the shelves and it's out there. Uh, and I'm excited for books two and three, because I really just, you know, it. it uh, while we were reviewing each other's manuscripts, I, I had to joke once in a while to Dave and Jim that I got so caught up in what they had written that I had forgotten to, you know, make notes. <laughs> I had to go back and reread because I'm like, you guys just sucked me so far into the, to the storyline. I forgot to do my job uh, and make sure that everything was syncing up. And, you know, we weren't, uh, out of step with each other. Uh, I'm excited. I think, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the reactions. Fun is probably not the right word. Cause it's not like I'm gleefully excited about, you know, some of the stuff we're going to put you all through. Um, but it's, it's satisfying to see this all finally come together and finally get put in y'all's hands mm. so that you can read it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean
0: it's I mean I just even think um I love the fact that these are in, you know, trade paperback form too. It just even feels more exciting. You know, I I hate mass market paperbacks, it just personally. <laughs> so I love that they've moved to the trade paperbacks and it, just holding it in my hands, you know, and and obviously having been a fan, like I remember picking up Avatar, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh it just it it has been obviously such a part of my life and with literary treks and you know it's just like this is a moment you know for us as well as the fans and it's it's just great to be a part of it with with y'all and and I I am excited to to see you know what comes next and so as always though you know I I want to give you the platform, you know, where can people find you? Is there anything else that you've got coming out? They need to be looking for, um, what else are you up to these days besides, you know, ending a Star Trek universe, you know, uh, you know,
2: the, the little things, the little things, uh, well, you can always find me at Dayton Uh, that's where my, uh, my home base is. And you'll find a blog there that I tend to at irregular intervals and then links to social media. um, You can ask me questions via any of those conduits anytime. Uh, And I'm happy to, you know, if I can't, if I can't answer it, I can fake it or I can at least point you in the direction of somebody who's smarter than I am. No shortage of those people. Um, What am I up to these days? Well, I'm still doing my consulting work with uh, CBS or Viacom consumer products, uh, Viacom CBS consumer products. Um, I'm consulting on a variety of things dealing with uh, extending the narrative. So, you know, co- books and comics and games and uh, interactive experiences and anything that it can extend the, the the storytelling for Star Trek into other spaces besides on screen. Um, I'm still writing on stuff. Uh, I just recently helped with a with a project for Modifius for their Star Trek Adventures role playing game. That's just now coming out. Uh, it's a, an entire campaign setting that we created um called the shackleton expanse and it's a hefty 360 odd page hardcover book that you could probably kill somebody with if you swung hard enough (laughs) um i have a few other things in the fire i've been doing some short story writing with uh, my writing partner kevin Dillmore. we've been having a lot of fun doing non-star trek stuff for different anthologies uh just recently finished writing a space western with him that, that is currently with its editor getting pounded Um, we'll have, we have a couple more of those in the hopper. Uh, and I have a couple of the projects that I've not been able to announce, uh, as far as what they are or who they're with, but stay tuned. I always have something going.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. I'm definitely excited to see. You know, what uh, doors this will open for, for all of you as well as we move forward. Obviously, you know, they're they're still writing um, you know, books within um, you know, Picard and, and Discovery mm-hmm. and of course we'll have uh strange new worlds coming out for you guys yep. I'm sure to be able to play with as well. And who knows what'll happen with uh the series is um, you know, whether it's Enterprise, Deep Space Nine, next generation, the original series you know, Voyager, uh, inside those series as well. Who knows what's going to happen there? So, I mean, it, there's there's so much still there.
2: I just can't imagine a world without a new original series novels. I just can't imagine that we we've seen the end of those. Um, <laughs> I, I just it just seems like it would be weird. I mean, I've been buying original series novels since they were, you know, ninety five cents or a dollar mm-hmm. twenty five cover price. So, you know, uh, I go back quite a ways longer than I care to admit out loud. (laughs) So um, the other series, you know, there's always a potential there, whether it's comics or games or uh, novels. I mean, uh, I think Star Trek and it's different flavors are, is evergreen. Mm -hmm. I think as long as there's going to be Star Trek, there's going to be Star Trek novels of some kind.
0: Now, Now, if we could just get like lower decks novels, you know, know,
2: I, I wonder if no, a lower decks novel would be the, the the, the literary equivalent of a Saturday night live sketch, you know, it's like it overplays the joke and it stays too long. You know, it's like, I I love Saturday night live, but you know how those sketches sometimes can drag on past the point of being uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) I I just, uh, I, I wonder if, I wonder if lower decks is that kind of animal where a conventional novel, uh,
0: yeah, that's that's work. a good point. It might work better in a comic setting, I think would it think. It might work
2: better in a comic, well, or if we can find some yeah. way to flip the, pair, you know, shift that, you know, just to flip that idea on its head. You know, um, I, I really don't know how you approach a Lower Decks novel. Uh, good point. I, mean, I guess if John Scalzi wanted to write a Star Trek novel, it would work that way for him.
0: Mm. Um, oh, I know yeah. he already wrote yeah.
2: kind of sort of a Star Trek novel. Yeah, read. Red shirts, um, yeah. Red shirts, yep. yeah. It's a, and Prodigy, you know, which is which is another animated series that's going to be aimed at a younger demographic. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential for that one. Um, it's animated, but it's not at all like Lower Decks. It's a completely different animal, and I, I love it for the fact that you can watch this show and you don't need to know anything about Star Trek. It's a perfect on-ramp uh, for 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 the kids and those who are still kids at heart. I think it's just. Mm to yeah. learn about star trek the way the characters do as the stories unfold and they're going to just show you the starfleet ethos and uh, ethos and just i don't know it's just a, it's a it's a great idea for a show i i mean i when i first heard about it i was very skeptical and i got to read some i got to read the scripts and i'm just i was blown away by what they were trying to accomplish if it comes across half as well on screen as it does on the page you're gonna love it
0: that's man that's great and i I'm excited for what comes next. Uh, You know, uh, who knows what's going to happen. And as always, I mean, thank you so much. You know, all the years that, you know, you've been a part of Literary Tracks, obviously, you know, helping uh, make it a success by coming to talk about the books that you've written. And I just so appreciate it. I I never want to take for granted uh, the time that that you give us. And uh, again, it, it means a lot to me personally, obviously, but um, I just really thank you from the bottom of my heart for pouring your heart uh, into to all of this for so many years. And so, yeah, man, thanks for coming on.
2: No, thanks for having me. It's always fun talking to you.
1: Well, you know what, Matt? It's bittersweet. I mean, we're beginning the end with all this, and I'm excited that we are got these other two books coming to follow up with this one. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's the end. Right. So, yeah, uh, I don't know how I feel, but I am really excited.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you, Bruce. Uh, This is really difficult for me uh, to be here uh, in a sense of in all honesty. It's been one of the few things in Star Trek that I have really loved over the last 20 years um, that has really kept me going. You know, I actually was a big fan of the JJ verse movies surprisingly enough nobody was more surprised than myself that that was the case Uh, but this I just I can't believe we're we're wrapping it up and it does hurt my heart there are many places as I talked with Dayton where this book tore my heart out and it's like Dayton took my heart stomped on it sat on it put some nails in it tore it up spit it out and left it on the side of the freeway for dead so
1: uh i have this, no idea this surprises you <laughs> dayton I does know. it all the time right <laughs> i know i know but uh
0: i just know that of course you know we've got james swallow left and then of course uh you know david mack is going to take what's left of my heart put it a blender oh. and drink it for fun so he'll be uh, ruthless it's it, it, yes yes but um Bruce, you know, uh, if anybody does want to catch up with you and see what else you've
1: got going on, uh, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. Uh, You can also find me on Goodreads. I should mention that more often, but I am there. And, of course, in our Goodreads group of literary treks. But I'm also on the podcast of Positively Trek, where we talk all things Star Trek, including books and comics and episodes and such. And also the Star Wars Report podcast, which in its I like to say it's its last season. So we're ending the show in May and we'll see what happens after that. And of course, uh, you can find me here all over the
0: network, uh, especially with uh, the 602 Club, uh, talking about all of the fandoms we love, not just one. And of course, inside that feed, we've also got Snyder Cuts, as well as Assembling Avengers bonus shows. So don't miss those, especially since uh, Assembling Avengers just began, as John Mills and I are talking about all of the Marvel films together and, and kind of reassessing those as we move forward. And Uh, By the time this show comes out, we'll have uh, reached film two and phase one with the Incredible Hulk. Uh, You can also find me doing The Orb as well as Warp 5 here. The Orb, of course, about Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Warp 5. Chris Jones and I are celebrating 20 years of Enterprise as we walk through
1: every single show uh, that that. I listened um, to that recent episode of the the pilot. That was a really good episode.
0: Thank you so much. It's I'm enjoying it so much because I really do love Enterprise, and I hope that that shines, honestly, uh, as uh, we walk through that series and, and look back on it. Uh, you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One was Owl Post with Drea Kaufman. That is a completed show. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time, and aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. And, of course, on social media, you can find me all over the place under Matt Rushing, Zero two. But of course, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading to each his own number one.